All right, today's message is going to be taken from Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 11. Um, I'm going to read it and then we'll, we'll open up in a word of prayer. Hebrews 12, 1 through 11 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and, and the sin which so easily entangle us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who, was, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you, us, will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are approved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which you all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we have earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time, I seem best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Father, thank you again. Um, this time we thank you, Lord, for your word. And, and uh, thank you, Lord, that it is indeed live and active. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that it is uh, the way in which you communicate to us. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that... My words would fall to the ground and your words would so go forth. Uh, the hearts would be touched by it. Um, that we would be uh, uh, compelled to apply it to our lives. Uh, that we would hear it as a message from you to us today. Um, so I just pray that you will go forth as we hear your word this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I've been going through a series with um, the, the teens of, of Ignition, and we've been looking at the character of God study series. And the first character that we started off with was his character of holiness. And we're somewhat wrapping up that study series as far as on holiness. And I thought, how can I, um, or what sort of message would be, I guess, appropriate um, for this morning, you know, as we're you know, we're somewhat exiting out of a Thanksgiving um, season. Uh, during this past week, I'm sure folks had their hams and their turkeys. Um, some probably had more ham and turkey that they planned to have. Um, and like my wife, we're going to probably plan to start walking or running. Um, and so, you know, it's such a time though, right, where we just we put on a little bit more and and then New Year, New Year come around, and then we're like, okay, we gotta make a New Year resolution to take off what we put on. Such a wonderful cycle. But um, but I was like, how can I share a message that 
I didn't necessarily want to focus on Thanksgiving in and of itself, um, but a lot of my heart, Hebrews 12, 1 through 11, um, because the last few service we, we, we were in Revelation chapter 3, and we were looking at the letter to the church in Laodicea. And what I pointed out to the youth is that, you know, Jesus in his letter had really harsh, direct, in-your-face rebuke. You know, he said, you know, your lifestyle is lukewarm, and that makes me sick. It makes me want to throw up. You know, I'll spit you over my mouth. And it was like, ouch. Right? And, and, and but later on in verse 19, um, Jesus said, you know, I'm rebuking you because I love you. Those whom I love, I reprove and rebuke. And so that made me think of God's discipline and how can we be thankful for discipline. Now that's, you know, being thankful for discipline just does not go together, right? right? You, you, you're never home, and for those who are visiting who, from outside of Bahamas, we use the terminology beating, um, but it's not like the backyard type beating type thing. It's just our vernacular for spanking, so we say beating. So whenever I say beating, don't think I'm talking about like a baton, you know, anything like that. Although some of our <laughs> some of our spankings is bottom line uh, uh, abuse, you know. Uh, I I just think of when um, I think of my parents and you know, and if I go back, I'm like, man, you know, mom, dad, that was some of those were really bottom line abuse, you know, you know. But I, I thank you for it because honestly. Honestly, um, you know, I probably wouldn't be here, uh, not necessarily standing up here before you, but I wouldn't be here uh, if not for their, their discipline. And their discipline, um, um, most of the time, was definitely out of love. But at no point in time was I absolutely thankful for it, doing it. And I was like, oh, mommy, the left side, the left side. So, you know, the le- you know, no, never, never. Never, 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 never. Um, but we can be thankful for God's discipline. And because as we're going to see, coming at the end of this passage of, of, of Scripture, we're going to see the wonderful fruit in which it produces. Um, there are three main focal points that, um, as I was studying this passage, um, that stood out to me and I wish to communicate with you. And, and within this text as well, there's four directors for us. And the, um, the four directors... I believe it's up on the screen. Um, first one is to look to Jesus. And, and, and the focus here is for us, uh, a call to, to remain faithful. To remain faithful as those who were before us. And the previous chapter, uh, verse 11, and I'm sorry if, if you really can't see it, but the previous chapter in verse 11 talks about the, the heroes of faith. And, and actually, there's so much more heroes of faith that the author in verse 32 of chapter 11 says that, you know, I just won't have the time. I won't have the time to, to, to write of Gideon and the prophets and Jephthah. You know, when it goes on, he lists some more names because there's so much more people who have demonstrated acts of faith, acts of faith and trust in God. And so first directive is for us to look to Jesus because Jesus is the perfect example of enduring faith. And, and the whole book of Hebrews talks about the supremacy and the all-sufficiency of Christ. You know, chapter 1, it talks about Jesus and him being superior to the angels, 
goes on with Jesus being superior to, to Moses and then him being superior to the Old Testament priesthood. And then here in um, coming at the, uh, the ending part of the Hebrews, it talks about Jesus um, uh, and being, him being our perfect example, him being the author and perfecter of our faith. And so the first directive is for us to look to Jesus. Um, the second and third directive is for us to accept correction and endure hardship. And it's saying that this is what Jesus, that what God uses to address the sins in our lives. And for us to endure the discipline of God, because as we will see, whom God loves, he disciplines. And if we are a child of God, it makes us children of him, children of God. And if we are indeed children of God, he will discipline us out of love because he wants us, in the end, to be blameless in Christ so that as we are being sanctified and transformed, uh, we are being, we're being transformed into the incorruptible image of Jesus Christ. And the fourth directive is, and it's really not so much a directive as it is a, a result of what we're called to do, and that is to reap the fruit of God's discipline. Because such discipline from God to those who endure produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. As you look at verses 1 through 3, I'm really not going to do it the, the justice in which it deserves. Uh, I'm going to give a very brief cursory summation of verses 1 to 3. Not saying that it's not significant to the rest of the text because I believe it sets up a beautiful pace and framework of what verses 4 through 11 is asking us as believers to do. Um, the witnesses we see in verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have such great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We have an incredible history of those who went before us, these witnesses. And in the original language, the, 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 the Greek usage for witness there is Matisse. And from there we get, we get martyrs. And as you would see in the previous chapter of verse, chapter 11, coming at the end, the author also talks about those who have been persecuted. And I'll just read it so that it, it sticks. Who by faith, or sorry, for 35, women received, actually 36, sorry, and others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, affected, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world is not, is not worthy, wandering in deserts, mountains, and caves, and holes in the ground. So we have such a, such a history of those who went before us who have demonstrated faith in Christ. You know, we think of Abraham and, and the promise that was given to him, that he's going to have a child, and he's like, whoa, hey, I'm old, you know, Sarah's old, um, you know, no children happening here, you know, but he believed that God made a promise to him and that it would happen, and then after that promise was fulfilled, then God directs him to sacrifice his son in whom the promise was going to be manifested through. Uh, and still, with faith, and we even see in, in, in chapter 11, he talks about Abraham had resurrection type of faith. Because even though I would sacrifice my son because God has called me to do this, in faith I know that he'll raise him up because he made a promise to me. Um, and so there's so many more. Um, think about the prophets, think about Daniel. And we can go on and on of those who have 
um, demonstrated just acts of enduring faith. And us, we are now encircled with that incredible fellowship of faith as well. Um, and this Christian pilgrimage that we have, you know, it's not a sprint, right? It's not a 100-meter dash. You know, it's not click, and we're done. It is indeed a marathon. And, and I love the way how Paul uses analogies and metaphors when he says, you know, run the race with endurance. And if you're thinking of endurance, um, you know, you're thinking of this is a long journey. Um, it's a marathon of faith that we need to run with endurance. And as we run this marathon of faith with endurance, our focus must be on Christ. In verse 2 it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God, had at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus is our perfect leader, right? He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who brings our faith to its fullest completion. Jesus is indeed the perfect example of enduring faith. He voluntarily embraced the cross with all its shame and with all its disgrace. And, and doing that because he behold the joy that was set before him. And for us, as we run this marathon of faith, we must remember that he endured all of these persecutions. The beating, the mocking, the spitting, so that we may not be discouraged. So verses 1 to 3 not only sets the pace of what enduring faith is, it also lays down the perfect framework of what we're called to, not only as Christians, but also as children of God. And so firstly, in verse 4, as we get into the specific text of the fruit of God's discipline and how we, as his children, who have placed faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, how we need to respond uh, respond to uh, such discipline in our lives. Verse 4, it says, and usually, you know, this is the morning service. This, this is the morning service, you know, Captain Obvious. This is the youth service. Um, and usually, you know, youth service, I'm looking at the clock. That can't be right. Oh, that is right. Uh, usually, usually it comes out very early, and I'm going to try to really stick to that because we do have a brief parent meeting, and, uh, and I don't want to disappoint anyone. Um, you know, I'm sure, like, the Wendy's folks, they know when it's a youth service because, you know, you come there earlier, and they're like, youth service, and you're like, yeah, right? Uh, so, um, so, you know, it'll be, it'll be earlier than, than usual. Um, I, know, I know you're saying no complaints, no complaints. Uh, verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sense. And so what the author is saying is that, you know, we're still alive. Remember, the, the original language for witness there, you know, is Matisse, which comes from the word martyr. It's like, you are still alive. We are still alive. We have not yet shed blood. We have not died for our faith yet, right? Thus, we must continue to resist and we must continue to strive against sin as we run this incredible marathon of faith. And secondly, it says in verse 5, and you have, when it says, and you have forgotten, it's not saying that we forgot. You know, it's like, don't forget. You know, don't forget. Don't forget what you are called to, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you. So it's like, don't forget what you are called to. And the last three words of the beginning of verse 5 says, as sons. So it's like, don't forget what you are called to 
as such. Most of the youth, I think, are upstairs and somewhere scattered scatter about. So don't forget what you are called to. And he goes on and he explains exactly what he's referring to. If you look at the rest of verse 5 through verse 6, it says, My son, this is what we as children of God need not to forget. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. And you know, the, the, the wonderful thing with the discipline of God, we see a, a real good reassurance that it's not just out of, I just want to discipline you because I can. Um, you see in, in Job, Job 5, verses 17 through 18, it's not on the screen, it's not on the screen, uh, but I'll read it for you. Verses Job 5, verse 17 through 18 says, Behold how happy is the man whom God reproves. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he inflicts pain and gives relief. He wounds and his hands also heals. Right now, I'm going to call up, we're going to have a little brief interlude, um, not because I want to stress the time, um, but we're going to call up three, I see two so far, so my backup, oh, three, okay, good. So we're going to have DeAndre Catwright and Janika Pears and Craig Joaquin. They're going to come up and I'm going to interview them. Um, just really two, two brief questions about their, about their discipline experience from their parents. They're not going to give details. So parents just, okay. It's like, oh, man. It's like, Michelle, what are you doing? Um, So, and, they, and they're going to be, you can just turn up, it's on. And, they, and they'll be honest, you know, it, was, it wasn't like prep answers and stuff like that. So here it goes. So I'm going, to ask, I'm going to ask each one of you the same question once. Well, of course once, okay. So the first question, starting with you, Janika. In the moment and shortly after you were disciplined, how did you feel toward your parents? Okay. Be nice. <laughs> okay. First of all, I have to explain that I was a very good child. Okay. Ah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I didn't get beat. I didn't get beating very often, but whenever I did, I remember that my mother or father they would always explain. They would ask us, "Do you know why you were getting beating?" And sometimes we we'd answer and be like, "Yeah," or we'd say, "No." And then they would explain to us why we're getting beaten. He's like, but I just want you to know that we love you. And what we're doing is for your own good and your own benefit. Did, did you ever believe that? <laughs> Let me finish. Okay. And then we'd receive our beating. But like the time that they were doing it, I would be like, I would think they were crazy because I'm like, I don't understand how you're beating me and telling me you love me. So my thought in that moment as a child is that you're crazy. I don't understand. That's that's fair, you know. You tell a child, "I love you." I mean, it's like it's like give me candy or something, you know. <laughs> All right, uh, Craig. Same question for me. When my parents used to discipline me, I used to wonder what, like, what demon took over my parents, because 
they're usually really nice, but when it came time for the discipline, it's like a samurai showdown, and yeah. Um, afterwards, I would have to wonder to myself, what did I do, and why I can't sit down properly. Um, But then eventually I would have to think about what I did and realize that it was for the better because today I'm actually happy that I got disciplined because I have friends who didn't get disciplined and they're not happy to be around. So, (laughs) All right. Deandra, same question. Well, um, let's see. Like Janika was a very good girl. I didn't do anything. Now, let me tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> no, actually, at the time of discipline, I was wondering, um, oh, gee, what in the world did I do wrong? Now, mind you, I knew what I did. But I'm just trying to, you know, build up the case to myself. I didn't do anything wrong. But um, basically, it's like, Mom, Dad, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> but um, essentially, it's like, I don't want to get disciplined anymore after this. Um, I have learned my lesson. I'm going to avoid this. So each subsequent time it may have happened, it would have been for a different thing. So I learned each time, not make sure that it didn't happen again. So. Okay. Second question. Second and last question. Um, what thought comes to your mind now uh, when you look back on it? Now that I think about it, I realize that what they were doing was for my benefit and that they really did do it out of love because I... I do believe that I'm a better person. I've learned, just like DeAndre said, I never got beaten for the same thing twice because I learned from the previous one, you know, right? So. It's you. I, I know I didn't. Yeah, I, I think I'm a better person. It was like. <laughs> because of what they did. And I see that they did love me and that's why they did it. For me, I used to try and be crafty and try to do the same thing but in a different style. So. <laughs> so. So if I lied about my schoolwork once, I'd make sure not to lie about my schoolwork again, but lie about something else, and hopefully I don't get caught for that. But now that I look back on it, now that I look back on it, I'm really happy that I got disciplined because I sometimes I'm hard-headed. My parents get attest to that, so I make sure not to be creative with my trouble anymore. Um, well, as they said, that um, they would have bas- basically learned about, well, the benefits of it. I don't know if that's possible. Yes, but um, I do, I am thankful that I got disciplined at the time. I may not have been, but now that I am, that I've grown up, um, I'm thankful to my parents that they did do that because it's true what he said that there are some kids that did not receive such things and my goodness they've taken that they've full blown that out of the water so my father was a firm believer in if you spare the rod you spoil the child so I'm not spoiled (laughs) (laughs) Uh, thank you thank you let's thank you for Christmas So as we see, healthy uh, discipline is uh, quite profitable uh, for, your, for your household. I remember one time, I think I was seven years old, uh, my, my mother had me across her lap in the uh, beating position. Um, and, and I realized that, you know, running away doesn't 
solve the issue, right? I just sort of like, no, right? You know, it just prolongs the experience. It makes them even that much more frustrated. You know, it's just, it's just not good. Um, and they tried putting on extra pants and stuff like that, and then, you know, it just didn't work. And, and they would tell you, go for the belt. And that's such a psychological, I mean, you, I, I think if you tell your child, go for the instrument that they're going to be uh, uh, disciplined with, that's enough. You know, if they bring it to you, just be like, you know, okay, I just need you to learn. But then to take it from them and then apply the discipline, it's just psychologically alone. It's just, oh, right. Mr. Lowe Jr., go get the... Um, but I remember, you know, sitting on a lap and I would, and I learned that, okay, running away doesn't do it. Putting on extra pants doesn't do it. Taking, bringing the thinnest belt that I can find doesn't do it. So I was, I'm laying on her lap and I'm like, mommy, I'll buy you a car. I'll buy a house, you know, and she started laughing and I thought she was going to stop, but just kept on going, you know, so, um, so she was a multitasker, you know, um, at that. And, um, but, like uh, three young people said, you know, when I look back on it now, there is such a, a wonderful um, um, understanding of why it was done. And for us, in our spiritual walk uh, um, with the Lord, we also too have to look at what fruit that the discipline of God produces in our lives. So although it's going to be extremely painful, uh, and it's not something that we're going to enjoy at the time, so getting back to the text in verse 7, it says, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? What son is there whom his father does not discipline? In the original language, again, the Greek usage for discipline here is pedio. And that means to, to educate, right? Because if discipline is just about inflicting pain only, then is that really discipline or just angered punishment? And then in the beginning, it says, it is for discipline that you endure. And there, you know, the author's just saying, no, we are enduring because of, we are enduring through the discipline of God. And it's an encouragement for us to continue to endure because he is disciplining us because he loves us and he wants to point out areas in our lives that we need to turn away from. As mentioned in verse 1, you know, taking aside, stripping down any encumbrance of sin. And, and he will use his discipline to achieve that. And the word there, discipline, the Greek word there is, Padea, which means upbringing or training. And so the discipline of the Lord is to train us, correct us, instruct us in the ways in which he desired for us to live our lives so that we can truly reflect the perfect image of his son, Jesus Christ. So whatever discipline we're experiencing right now, however painful it may be, it's because we're God's child. It's not pleasant, nor should it ever be. Uh, but it is indeed, like I said before, for our correction, for our training, and for our sanctification. Because there are sins in our lives, believe it or not. There are sins in our lives, and God is dealing with those as our loving Father. I remember hearing this uh, illustration. Uh, there was, I think it was Pastor uh, Cunningham that was here many years ago. Uh, well, I shouldn't say many, but several years ago. Um, and I don't think it was in relation to this, but he used this illustration of us being put into the washing machine. Now, you know, when you put dirty clothes into a washing machine and it kicks on, the agitator, you know, you, you know, it, all this stuff is happening with the clothes and it's being spun. Um, that's not a pleasant feeling at all. 
We do not like the washing machine experience, right? And so when we come out, we're clean. But what happens when your clothes get dirty again? Where does it go? Where does it go? Washing machine. All right, you guys are with me. All right. And, 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 and so that's, that's, you know, that's the process as far as, you know, with God dealing with our sin. You know, he disciplined us according to what sins are in our lives. Because he wants us to be clean. He wants us uh, to continue in our race of enduring faith. But then you may cry out and say, why, God, why are you putting me through this trial? Why are these things happening to me? And verse 8 explains. Verse 8 says, but if you are without discipline of which you all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So here, you know, the author really gives some serious implications um, in, re- in reference to receiving discipline under the loving hands of our holy God. And those implications are these. If we are without discipline, then we are illegitimate children, and thus not sons of God. And the second implication is if, if we are not legitimate children of God, then we have no association with God. In Deuteronomy, you don't have to have turn there, I'll, I'll read it. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 2, It says, once I can get there, no one of illegitimate birth shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of his descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So no one of illegitimate birth can have association with God. But since we are children of God, since we are sons of God, we are disciplined. And we are legitimate children. And we have all have become partakers of that discipline because we are children of God. And furthermore, in verse 9, it says, Furthermore, we have earthly fathers to discipline us, as you all heard from our uh, testimonies, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the Father or Spirit and live? And verses 9 and 10, it gives this comparison of our earthly parents and our heavenly Father. And it's not in any way saying that parents, our earthly parents, you know, it's not like a negative comparison, but it's just saying, like, compared to God, your earthly father to your heavenly father, there really isn't any comparison. Yes, the things that you are experiencing under your earthly parents as they instruct you and educate you are good, but how much more should we be, how much more should we be subject to our heavenly father, our father of our spirits in whom we have eternal life? Because, verse 10, for they discipline us for a short time, I seem best to them. So I'm not still getting beaten by my mom. Nor, nor could I be. You know what I mean? 240 pounds on her knees would not work, right? It, it just, it, that's just what happened, right? So, you know, the, the discipline that we experience from our earthly parents, one, it doesn't continue in our lives. Once we're of age, it stops. Secondly, the discipline can either be too severe, some of you can attest to that, or two mile, sorry say it was never two mile, uh, or absent altogether. And even for our parents, it's a learning experience as they raise us. However, the discipline of our Heavenly Father is perfect. It continues throughout our entire lives. And it's always done in love. It's never too much, and it's never too little. Uh, and the purpose 
the glorious purpose is that his discipline, his desire, is for us to share in his holiness, as we see at the end of verse 10. But he disciplined us for our good, so that we may share in his holiness. And here, as I close, verse 11. And this is why I believe that we can be thankful for God's discipline. Because when we look at the fruit of his discipline, as although it may be incredibly painful, the rarest experiences that we go through, I think if we keep our eyes on Christ, if we purpose to accept his correction, to endure the hardship, then we truly will reap, um, as he's promised, the fruit of his discipline. Verse 11 says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Here is a commentary quote. God has a definite purpose in mind for disciplining us. He wants us to share in his holiness, whereas human fathers train their children to conduct themselves appropriately, God disciplines us for holiness, that we, that he, that is, he wants us to be like him, perfect and holy. So, as we close, in the midst of God's discipline, we will experience pain, no doubt. Uh, it will be discomfort, it will be sorrowful. However, as we run this marathon of faith, and as we purpose to run this marathon of faith with endurance, through the training and through the correction of God, it develops this wonderful character trait that God wants in each and every one of us who are his child, and that is his righteousness and his holiness. So this is something indeed that we can be thankful for, because it's not only the evidence of us being children of God, but it is indeed the evidence of his love for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your love, and um, it's hard during the midst of your discipline to be thankful for it, uh, but we know that through your word, there's a purpose for it. You don't discipline us in anger. You don't discipline us in wrath, because if you would, we would be utterly destroyed, but you discipline us in your love, your perfect love. And the purpose of your discipline is for us to be be aware of the various sins in our lives that so easily entangle us, so easily trip us up in our race, uh, uh, in our race of enduring faith. And so, Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would comfort our hearts during the midst of these um, trials. Uh, pray that you would bring to remembrance your word uh, and the beautiful. Uh, um, truth of it, indeed, that it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So let that be at the forefront of our minds as we go through these very difficult and tough times. So I pray that we would be so satisfied in you so that you will be so glorified in us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.